Well, good morning. It's good to be with you again, especially on this uh, first Sunday in Lent. Lent is, uh, you will know, is that time of, of year when we take a time, we take an opportunity to reflect a little bit uh, on our purpose. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. I want to talk to you about purpose. Uh, let me read to you uh, what is our text and its context this morning is our scripture reading. But first, let me pray. <laughs> Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in us the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit and we shall be created and you will renew the face of the earth. Amen. Reading from Matthew 16, verses 23 through 26, Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. Here's the text. For you are not setting your mind on things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Here ends God's reading. May he bless us with it. Now I've been thinking about purpose uh, for several months. Uh, the uh, reason is that I keep coming back to this feeling that I have that things are not working as well as they were. They're not working well at all. And so I sat down to write a sermon about this. And I, I wrote it in, uh, I started writing it in this past November. And, and uh, the more I wrote, the more confused I got and the more uh, afraid of failure I became. And so I stopped. And I got my, took my dog and I went out dove hunting. Uh, I thought maybe that would help. Uh, and sure enough, this uh, well-trained retriever of mine who has never failed me before, uh, as soon as I started dropping birds out of the sky, I hope that doesn't offend anybody, uh, he ran right out there and grabbed those birds, and in a few moments he came back with feathers. He literally had eaten all my birds. I, I, it seemed like some kind of a parable, you know, uh, and, and then I was reading uh, around Christmas time uh, some uh, thoughts and words of Bing Crosby, uh, and uh, I ran across something that really uh, surprised me. Uh, he was referring to World War II, and he said uh, at the end of the war, he said, we don't feel too proud, just glad we got through it. Uh, then a few weeks later, I watched a tackle for the New England, uh, New England Patriots do this preposterous victory dance for having just tackled someone, which was his job. You know, I, I just somehow this, this, uh, this juxtaposition was just too much for me. And then I, I read some, uh, something about that in the 1930s, uh, 20% of the people thought they were special. In 1950, it was up to 50% of the people thought they were special. And now 80% of the people think that the world revolves around them. What's going on? Ernie Pyle was a New Mexico war correspondent 
Uh, I think you by now can realize I've been reading a lot about World War II lately. Uh, Ernie Pyle uh, died right at the end of the war. And uh, he was from Santa Fe. And uh, he was a well-known war correspondent. He served both theaters of the war. And uh, he wrote this just before he died. We didn't win this war because we're special. We should just try to be modest and be worthy of the peace. So I ask myself at this point, where has this humility gone? No moral authority will be reestablished in this culture, in this nation, in our people, until there is less thinking about ourselves. Ourselves. The frustration I feel is everywhere in our culture. A deep shift from self-effacement to self-advancement has left us really disappointed, isolated from each other, working harder than ever to accomplish less with more dissatisfaction than I have ever seen in my lifetime. Frustration is the emotion that signals that we have lost purpose. Our way and our vocation is all about me. We live in a culture and society so consumed with exercising its power that it has lost its morality and is losing its freedom. Jesus speaks to us right at this point. And here's what he says. You're not setting your mind on things of God, but on the things of man. You're thinking like Satan, who's only a hindrance. And you have become useless. And that's why you are frustrated. J.K. Rollins, who I think will go down uh, in our memory, in our historical memory, as one of the greatest authors of the 20th century, gets it absolutely right in the fifth book of the Harry Potter series. When she has Harry very, very frustrated because his arch nemesis, Voldemort, is using his mind and his gifts to further the reign of evil. It was brilliant. It's brilliant, her insights there. Frustration is an emotion that God created in us at our creation, in his image. It's an emotion that flags and warns us that our strong, inherent desire for achievement is sidetracked and our purpose is forgotten. It warns us that our purpose is no longer God's purpose, but one of our own making. It reminds us how little we know of our sin, so that when we think we are great, we are in a great deal of trouble. This morning, I'd like for you to consider your own purpose. Maybe ponder that over this Lenten period. What is required to get it? And give you some, these three essentials that Jesus mentions here to reestablishing it in our lives. And then make some applications about that at the end. Proverbs 20 verse 5 says, The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. God made us and wants us to draw out his understanding of 
our purpose. So what is the object, the end of your life? What is, that, what is that goal that is so big it will take you your entire life to achieve? You know, as I was pondering that myself, I, I realized it's very easy to get lost between the, your mission and your purpose. In our circles, it's easy to throw out a phrase like, uh, my purpose is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, and then never think about it again. Never consider what that actually looks like for me. You may accomplish your mission, but forget what your purpose is. And I think a perfect illustration of this is this, uh, the movie Saving Private Ryan. Uh, you remember the story. Uh, uh, they have successfully uh, uh, landed at Normandy, and this platoon uh, has uh, basically survived and they are given a mission. And their mission is to go and find Private Ryan because all of his brothers have been killed and it's not right and it's the law that uh, no family be law, uh, without a progenitor or, or a, 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 a member of its family. So they, go, they have to go find him. And they're, they're upset about this. They grumble about it and so forth. And we follow them through all the machinations of this and they lose a man and that upsets them and they have this big discussion about whether it's right for nine people to have to die for one person and all that stuff goes on. But then they find uh, Private Ryan and against his will, they bring him back. They have accomplished their mission. But on the way back, they run into a company that has been given the mission of protecting a bridge at all costs. And, and, the, and the commander who's there uh, uh, pleads with them to help, uh, to, to add to their numbers. They've lost numbers. And, and, there's a, and there's a, we know that there's a large force coming uh, toward them. And, and they have this big debate. We, we've done our job. We've finished our mission. And the captain steps forward and he gives this inspiring talk. It's only you can find in the movies. And in the heart of it is this. Yes, we accomplished our mission, but you've forgotten the purpose. The purpose is to, to defeat the enemy. Jesus, in a rather blunt message, is reminding his disciples, especially Peter, that their purpose was set in creation, and he will accomplish it through the means of salvation. He tells us, uh, what that work entails in these three cryptic phrases that are both a quote from Genesis chapter 1 about our purpose in creation and uh, 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 you might say a cover or a quotation of Matthew 28 which he'll give them later at his resurrection. And, 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 in, and in them we find the explanation of life as Jesus sees it. Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So let's see if we can unpack these three missions, which then I think will point us to our purpose. Let him deny himself. It's the substance of what uh, is required in order to multiply. Think about that. A child is born through the physical suffering of the mother, the economic costs and pains of the father, the patient endurance and giving of a loving community, and all this pain and exertion to ensure that the children will find life in this world and the next. 
So God tells the old man Abraham in Genesis 17:2, the promise will be kept. He's waited now about 85 years or so. God comes to him and says, the promise will be kept. You will have a son, and he will multiply, and he will be like the stars of the heavens. Innumerable. He will multiply. Then in Genesis 22, verse 17, God comes back to Abraham, uh, who now has his son, and he says, I want you to take this son up and sacrifice him. And then God in that special moment, provides the sacrifice. Provides the ram. A beautiful picture of what is to come. He spares the firstborn son of Abraham and then tells him through the angel, I will multiply his descendants like the sands of the shore. Now God's firstborn son, Jesus, is saying your mission is to be fruitful and multiply. It's a mission of faith, and it requires sacrifice, suffering. Viktor Frankl was a young neurologist uh, who had just graduated from the University of Austria. Uh, He had uh, big plans on how to use his life for good. But instead, he found himself in a Nazi concentration camp. He was a Jew. Frankel wrote about his frustration in his book, A Search for Meaning. He says, It was not what do I want out of life that I learned, but what does life want from me? It doesn't matter what we expect from life, but rather what life expects from us. Suffering was what life put before this young man, and life set him apart for a different kind of achievement than he had ever considered or thought about. Life, he said, is never made unbearable by our circumstances, but only by lack of meaning and purpose. Multiplying is prophetic work. And you remember they killed the prophets. Jesus is teaching that the integrity of the message, the testimony that multiplies the children of God comes in our submission to Christ, in our humility. We stop thinking about ourselves and then our going, he says going, disciple the nations. Our going in this mission makes disciples through trials, trouble, scrutiny, rejection. Frustration shows up when this is not our mission or when we make this the only mission. And, it's, and we are no longer than walking by faith in the way that Christ Jesus has set for us as his people, as his bride. The second point that he makes is subduing the lie. Here's the second mission. Jesus tells us to take up his cross now, he's, he's, he's talking about both his cross and our understanding of the cross, which we sang about a few moments ago, and the cross that you will bear. Subdue is a very powerful word. It literally means to crush, to bring to submission, so that every knee will bow to Lord Yahweh. Isaiah says it like this. 
Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. Isaiah 45. Paul quotes from this in Philippians chapter 2. And he says, uh, right in that section where it has come all the way down to this, that Christ humbled himself even to death, the death of a cross. It ends in sacrifice. The death of our Savior, laying down his life for us, his people. In a sense, when I read that, I think God is saying to us, choose your death. Will you die chasing after the idols of this world? Or will you, as Jesus said, lose your life for his sake? Every aspect of this part of our mission ends in some kind of death. Even when Jesus says, going, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's a baptism into his death with the absolute assurance and hope of the resurrection from the dead, the bodily resurrection, and the life eternal, not just in heaven, but on the earth. It's an incredible hope. It's the kind of hope that allows you to lay down your life for others, for the sake of Christ. Our life has value even in death. This is the sacrifice required of us. Now the devil says, I'm going to kill you. He says it several places, but especially in the book of Revelation. I'm going to kill you. You better be afraid. You better be scared. I'm going to take everything from you. I'm, you're going to die. And you know what our response should be? Our response should be, hallelujah. I'll die. I'll die for my Lord and Savior. I'll die for my faith. I'll die for my children. I'll die for you. All worship requires a sacrificial death. We go to care for the dying in our lives, our work, our neighborhoods. You know, I I think this is what holiness actually is. Holiness isn't about your behavior. Holiness is who you are in Christ, in your union with Christ. And it shows itself up in these places. The way we worship, work, play, think, speak, is not about you, it's about Him. It's about the vocation He has called you to. It's about Him. I I think it's a tough lesson. That's why I've pondered it so long. It means dying to all those things that you think are so important, even your religious ideology. I was on a Kairos team. Uh, Kairos is a prison invasion where we go in for a whole weekend and we share the love of Jesus Christ with those men in prison and we have watched him do incredible things. Yeah, it's scary to go into a prison. Yeah, there's some tough men. We ask for the toughest men. We don't ask for the Christians. We ask for the non-Christians to come to our program. Yeah, it's scary. But we have watched him change lives. The head of the Aryans gangs in New Mexico came to Christ in front of me. It was an amazing thing to watch. But I, on this team, 
I got this wonderful idea of how we could demonstrate the gospel better. You know, I'm a good Reformed guy. I'm always thinking about how to do it better, how to say it better. You know, I know better than everybody else. And I had this wonderful idea. And they said, I'm sorry, it's not in the model. It doesn't fit. You can't do it. And I went, oh, my goodness. Well, you, you know, I'm, I, uh, I was just so frustrated. I wanted to argue. I, I, I wanted to uh, uh, change the model. I, I wanted to quit Kairos. They're a bunch of dunderheads. And then my lifelong friend, who's known me very well for a long time, came up beside, beside me and he said, John, um, is this about Jesus or is this about you? Is this about his righteousness and his gospel or is this about your ideas? Are you willing to die to yourself in order for this mission to succeed? Are you willing to decrease in order that Jesus might increase? Now, there was a lesson of life. <laughs> uh, because what was I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm like, uh, okay, Tom. <laughs> the mission is the sacrifice of our lives so that others may live. Frustration comes when our passions overcome our desire. The desire of our heart is for him and his desires. But our passions can carry us away. When we make public worship the only sacrifice of our life, the only one we're willing to make, oh yeah, I'll, take, I'll go to church on Sunday. If that's the only sacrifice you make, you're going to be frustrated. Because you were created and redeemed for a whole lot more than that. Even though it's the day that energizes us and it's the day we look forward to, there's much more to subduing the lie. Third, the third mission is simply follow me. There's a recognition of authority in these words uh, and they demand, uh, those words demand obedience. Uh, And if you think about it, the man that we follow, obeyed him perfectly in every way. The will of his Father in every way. This is dominion. And and, uh, the word means literally to rule. Listen to how Isaiah uh, calls us to this dominion. Listen to me in silence. Let us together draw near for judgment. Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from the farthest corners, saying to you, you are my servant, I have chosen you, not cast you off, fear not, for I am with you, be not dismayed, I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. The disciples in, the, in that last resurrection appearance that we've been referring to in Matthew 28 acknowledge and worship Jesus as their king. And Jesus says to them, going, teach them to obey all I have commanded you. We have recognized his dominion. We understand that he is going to rule the entire earth and that nothing can stop him, not even the gates of hell. We, we know that. 
We're not waiting for him to return to pursue this mission. We follow him. And what does that look like? What does that following look like? Does it look like we're going to go and bang people over the head with the, the gospel? No. But are we going to share the gospel? That's the first mission? Yes. What does our following look like in terms of dominion? Is it the sacrifice? Yes, it's the sacrifice. But what is he talking about here when he says, follow me? Well, I think he's, he's talking about things like forgive one another. Love one another. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. It looks like healing. So, for this reason, for, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, John says, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil. You see, I think dominion looks like helping people make the right choice. Righteousness is about making the right choices in life. You see, we believe in a sovereign God, and so we should be the people who are out front saying, because God is sovereign, make the right choice. Make a good choice. Make the best choice. And the best choice is always looking like love one another, forgive one another, heal one another. We choose to forgive, not curse those who around us. We choose to heal brokenness, not how to spend time and money for our own sake or the sake of the economy or the kingdom I am making rather than the kingdom he is making. Our frustration comes with our love of this world, this culture, the things of this world. And we know that this kind of love is emotional and it sucks the love of the Father right out of us because none of it lasts. This world is passing away. This flesh is passing away. We already know that. But we don't live like it. Many of you uh, in this room will remember who uh, George Marshall uh, was. Godly man, a Christian man, and the highest ranking commander in 1944. Just as at the time when they were putting to, finalizing the plans for Operation Overlord, which would be the invasion of Europe. And President Roosevelt comes to George Marshall and he says, George, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about this um, operation. You're the senior commander uh, and I'm trying to decide who, who I should appoint as the uh, general who will take charge of this operation. And, jo and George Marshall stops him and says, Mr. President, that is your decision. And I will, I will offer you no opinions on that whatsoever. You must make that decision. So uh, uh, Roosevelt goes and thinks about this, comes back a few days later and he says, comes back to George, he says, George, you're the senior officer. You should be the one who's in command of this. Uh, and, and he sort of pauses waiting for George's response and George says, sir, it is not my position to influence you on these matters at all. You need to decide who it is that will lead this operation. Roosevelt leaves comes back a third time. He says, George, do you want this command or not? And George Marshall says, Sir, I will submit to you in every way without any questioning of you. You must make 
this decision. The next day, Roosevelt announced that Dwight Eisenhower would be the commander of Operation Overlord. And George Marshall, who had not taken a day off through the entire war, went home at noon and didn't come back the next day. He was crushed. Now, I, I, I don't know, I'm not, we're not privy to what happened in that day, but I have a feeling he fell on his face before the Lord and said, Lord, I submit to you. This, this is the right thing, but it took him a while to figure that out. And then the Lord gave him, through President Roosevelt, the job of restoring Europe. And he created what we now call the Marshall Plan. Fifty years of goodwill to those whom we came to help and those whom we defeated. Rebuilding them. The whole attitude of the Marshall Plan is to serve others as greater or better than ourselves. To me, it's a wonderful story of a Christian who understood or maybe who learned through the process what dominion looks like. My conclusion then to these three missions that the Lord speaks of, all given to us to lead us to one end, to one purpose. What is it? Life. Okay, not just life, not just living, life. Not just with a capital L, with a capitalization, L-I-F-E, in quotation marks, life. Think about it. Think about that. Let that sink in a little bit. Your purpose, the purpose of your education, the purpose of your marriage, the purpose of the time that you have on this earth is life. Life doesn't wait for Jesus' return. Life doesn't begin or end with the accomplishments of this world or our self-efforts or our failures. No, life incorporates and prioritizes them all by our union with Jesus Christ. We live by His grace through faith. In his purpose. And he says he will accomplish it. Life is greater than existence. Life is the good work we are called to now and for all eternity. Jesus said, I came to give you life. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses, Paul tells Timothy. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, tells the Ephesians. If you have lost this purpose, that life leads to life, you're going to be frustrated. The result is indifference and boredom and selfish, sinful competitiveness, no faith, no hope, no love. Since, and this is why Peter writes this, I think. I think Peter is thinking these thoughts. He has set his mind on Christ where he is seated at the right hand and he writes to us this. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. That's a great statement that Peter makes. For William Tyndall, this was powerfully expressed by his purposeful statement, 
I will put the Bible into the hands of every Englishman in English. It cost him his life. But I'm reading it today because of him in my language. The Reverend Sheldon Jackson was a Presbyterian minister after the Civil War and he saw the devastation that had been caused. And so he proposed, I will plant a church in every state and territory of the United States west of the Mississippi. He died in Sitka, Alaska, having accomplished that purpose. Every single state. I don't know where in Texas it was, but there was one here. Maybe it's in Lubbock. And then uh, there was this kid in the, uh, uh, in the uh, ghetto in Newark, New Jersey. And he said, I will create a nonprofit, a Christian nonprofit for every need of the poor in the city of Chattanooga, where the gospel of hope, love, and faith will be heard. The Reverend Randy Neighbors. He'll be in Las Cruces this Friday. If you come, we'll give you breakfast and lunch for free. He'll speak three times. Uh, lunch, uh, breakfast, lunch, and then at the uh, joint worship service in the evening, you're all welcome. We'd love to have you come. And then on Saturday morning, he's doing a special work up, workshop for those who want to understand how to serve the needs of our city, how to reach out to those who are outcasts and alienated and, and widows and fatherless children and all those people. He's going to talk about how to do that. Uh, so your deacons ought to be there. But it, not just your deacons, not just the ministers, but those of you who have a heart of compassion, come to that workshop on Saturday morning, 9 to 11, and Randy will be holding forth there. All three missions, a cord of three twisted and bound together by your heartfelt desire to serve Jesus Christ and his kingdom, create a purpose greater than yourself. What have you set your mind on? What will your, what will your heart's desire be? How will you pursue it? When will you choose to put his kingdom and righteousness first? Answer these questions and your purpose in the years ahead and for life will become clearer and clearer. Don't set it aside and say you'll think about it next year. Do it now, in this Lenten period. Your, your, your decision, your purpose will be different than mine. But it will all flow. All of our purpose will flow from him and to him. And that's the way that we glorify him. That's the way we make him known. That's the way we see his character. We see it in his people. We see that we are glorified in that. That he glorifies us. And it's that, in that moment, that we begin to delight in Jesus. And the, our delight in him becomes greater than anything else. May God give you grace and faith.